Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Well, welcome back to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat, our first program for 2023. Well, that sounds strange. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on the road today. The broadcast coming from the Crow's Nest at the Cave at Mishawaka High School, where tonight there will be Mishawaka Cabin Boys Basketball on our sister station, 96-1 The Ton. I'll be on the play-by-play, filling in for Brian Miller. It will be the 8-2 Mishawaka Cayman, winners of five consecutive games, including winning the Huntington North Holiday Tournament, taking on the Elkhart High School Lions, who enter this matchup with a record of 1-7, and and they have lost two consecutive games. Again, 96 won the ton. We'll have Mishawaka and Elkhart in a non-conference boys basketball game tonight starting in the 7 o'clock hour. Right here on WSBT Radio, we have Fighting Irish Basketball. Mike Bray's squad up in Chestnut Hill getting set to take on the Boston College Eagles. Boy, you talk about a team in desperate need of a victory. It's Mike Bray's team. They are 0-3 in the ACC. He's been pretty outspoken in his press conferences about some of the way his squad has been playing as of late, in particular on the defensive end and turning the basketball over. What will we get from the Fighting Irish tonight as they take on a BC team that beat Notre Dame in Chestnut Hill last December, and Notre Dame needed overtime to beat Boston College at Purcell Pavilion Last, was it February? I'm trying to remember now. But it was an overtime game that the Irish pulled out. So, BC is 7-7. Seven and seven. They are 1-2 in the ACC. We'll talk more about this matchup as the program proceeds. But Notre Dame and BC from Chestnut Hill. We've got pregame coverage starting at 6.30. Tony Simeone will have the play-by-play coming up tonight at 7 o'clock here on WSBT Radio. Well, my name is Darren Pritchett. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for stopping by. And coming up on the program this evening, we've got a little bit of everything. We'll go back and talk about the Irish dramatic 45-38 win over South Carolina in the Gator Bowl. We have not had a program since that game took place, so we will talk about that ball game coming up in just a little bit. Also, Brandon Joseph has decided to put his name into the NFL draft. The Irish safety is one and done in South Bend after transferring from Northwestern. Also coming up on the program this evening, we'll kick around a little more of the Sam Hartman conversation, the Wake Forest quarterback in the transfer portal. Is he coming to South Bend? to quarterback the Fighting Irish for the 2023 season. Did Tyler Buckner's performance change the way we think about the Irish quarterback position for next year? So we'll have that conversation coming up. Also, 
we will get to our My 5 question of the day. The top five things to know about Notre Dame basketball's matchup with the Boston College Eagles tonight. So all that is coming up over the next 90 minutes here on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. And we will kick off the program right now with our opening first pitches. The first pitch of the first pitch of the night. And we are ready for the first pitch. Into the windup in his first offering. Just a bit outside. He tried the corner and missed. Well, the first of two opening pitches, we start with the scary, scary Monday night football game last night. Damar Hamlin, the second-year safety out of the University of Pittsburgh, sixth-round pick of the Buffalo Bills. Became a starter this year due to injury and had played really, really well for Buffalo. The Bills and the Bengals, a highly anticipated matchup last night on Monday Night Football via ESPN. And it sure looked like the game was going to live up to the hype because the Cincinnati Bengals went right down the field. Joe Burrow and the Bengals put up a quick seven points on Buffalo. Bills marched down the field only could pick up a field goal, so it was 7-3 Cincinnati. The Bengals got the ball back, moved near midfield, and that's when everything changed when T. Higgins caught a pass from Joe Burrow. The Bengals wide receiver cut up field near the 50-yard line and ran right into DeMar Hamlin. Hamlin made the tackle, but there was some pretty forceful contact to his chest. Seconds later, after standing up, Hamlin collapsed to the ground medical personnel on the scene immediately and you could tell right away this wasn't your normal injury when you see the medical personnel getting on their walkie-talkies you see the reaction of the players this just was not your normal injury so the bills in a statement this morning confirmed that hamlin suffered cardiac arrest on the field cpr was administered on the field for multiple minutes. He was taken to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center where he has been sedated and is listed in critical condition. So an extremely scary situation involving this Bills player. There are not any further updates since the report this morning the Bills put out about Hamlin being in critical condition. Listening to doctors today, it might be 24 to 48 hours before we have another update on the status of this 24-year-old safety of the Buffalo Bills. The latest information on this game, the NFL has decided that this game will not resume anytime this week. So right now it's Bengals 7, Bills 3, just under six minutes to go in the opening quarter. A lot is on the line in this game from a football standpoint, which you don't like to talk about right now as we're all concerned about Hamlin's status. But the number one seed in the AFC Division Championships, a lot of that could be decided by this game. But it will not be resumed anytime this week. The NFL is not announced at any point if the game will resume or not. Right now they're saying we're focusing on Hamlin, and these two teams are not going to play anytime this week. Their regularly scheduled games for Week 18 this weekend are still on as of right now, but you truly have to wonder about the mental state 
of these players from a Buffalo standpoint, their teammate, their brother, having to witness this young man fighting for his life right in front of their eyes. The Bengals dealing with the same emotions. I mean, your heart goes out to T. Higgins, who just made a football play and unfortunately was involved in the contact with Hamlin. Nothing he could do. He just was making a football play. And I know he feels awful, but he was just doing his job, and it almost feels like one of those just fluke instances. I do remember, and boy, I wish I could put a, a year on this, but it's probably been 15 years ago that the St. Louis Blues had a defenseman by the name of Chris Pronger, and he turned out to be a Hall of Fame defenseman, truly one of the great physical defenseman in NHL history and Pronger in a game took a slap shot to his chest and he went down in a similar fashion as Hamlin and I think it was over a month before he returned to the ice but ended up having a long NHL career as I mentioned a Hall of Fame career but there was a situation where the slap shot the puck just Caught him in the right spot, and that triggered a cardiac situation on the ice. But thankfully, Chris Prong was able to become healthy and continue his NHL career. And hopefully, we will have the same conclusion to this story with Damar Hamlin. Now, there's been a little bit of drawn-up controversy by members of the media about the way, in their opinion, the NFL handled Last night, it took an hour before the NFL decided to postpone last night's game. I'm not sure it's really worth the energy and the effort in trying to go down that road when we should be focused more on the player right now that is fighting for his life. We don't have any idea what was going on behind the scenes. I know the NFL today tried to stamp down what ESPN broadcaster Joe Buck said at least a couple of times last night that the players were given five minutes to warm up and we're going to return to action. Now, the NFL has denied that. NFL Executive VP of Football Operations Troy Vincent said during a conference call that at no time was there a five-minute period instructing players to warm up in preparation to resume play in last night's game, Vincent says restarting the action never crossed the NFL's mind. That's how they are reporting on the way they handled last night's situation. Well, in the midst of just a horrible situation, this is a pretty remarkable story. DeMar Hamlin has a foundation called Chasing M's, and he had been raising money for a toy drive. The goal was to raise $2,500 in order to allow kids to have a really nice Christmas by getting toys for them. Apparently, it's something he's been a part of, very active in communities, always giving back. So the goal was $2,500. People seeing what happened to Hamlin last night, They just wanted to do something, and there's little you can do other than support his cause. 
And as of last report within the last hour, he has gone from having a foundation that was looking to raise $2,500 to get those toys for needy kids. The amount raised is now over $4 million. $4 million. Incredible. Just incredible. I know one of the individuals that donated was New Orleans Saints quarterback Andy Dalton. There's a little bit of a backstory that it was a couple of years ago Dalton helped the Bills get into the playoffs by winning a game at the end of the regular season. Bills fans were so thankful. There were thousands of Bills fans that donated to Andy Dalton's charity. Andy Dalton didn't forget that. Dalton and his wife donated $3,000 to DeMar Hamlin's charity. That's truly giving back. So, again, no news on the health of DeMar Hamlin. Nothing new since this morning when the Bills announced he is still in critical condition. In terms of the game, the Bengals have a 7-3 lead with just under six minutes to go in the first quarter. The game will not be completed this week, and no word if it will be completed at all. I don't want to spend a lot of time on the game because the health of this young man is the most important thing, but there's so much on the line in this game. The number one seed and only the number one seed gets a bye in the first round. Bengals trying to win a division title. That affects seeding. It affects other teams. So if this was a matchup of, for example, Colts and Texans, that means absolutely nothing for the playoffs. It does mean something for the draft. You could just say, let's just scratch this game, even though they don't want to do that. But in this instance, you wonder if they will have to at some point play this game. But how long is it going to take for these players to mentally be ready to get back on the field. It almost seems like they need an update or they need to know that Hamlin's going to be okay before they take the field once again. And according to some doctors not involved in this situation, just taking the facts as we know it, they said it could be 24, 48 hours before there is truly an update on Hamlin's status. Just unthinkable. I don't think any of us had seen anything like that on the football field. You know, I was thinking today, probably, boy, toward the end of my high school status, the, the tragic situation with Hank Gathers, the, the Ford from Loyola Marymount. He had a, a cardiac issue during a late season game and tragically passed away. Marymount dedicated the season, the rest of the season to him. Uh, Bo Kimball, and Loyola Marymount, I think they beat defending national champion Michigan early in the NCAA tournament, made a great run. And one of the moments you don't forget was Gather's good friend Bo Kimball shooting his first free throw of every game left-handed in honor of the left-handed firing Gathers. That came to mind today, just reliving that horrific situation. I do want to say this. I think the folks on ESPN deserve a ton of credit for the way they handled last night. I think ESPN was very fortunate to have two extremely professional and experienced broadcasters in the booth 
to deal with this situation with Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. They handled it beautifully. I felt for Susie Culbers, Booger McFarlane, Adam Schefter in the studio. They had to fill time in a situation. I mean, what do you talk about? And McFarlane was very emotional and handled things absolutely beautifully. So I think that ESPN crew deserve a lot of credit because it is a situation where you're trying so hard not to give any misinformation. You are trying not to say the wrong thing. And just being on this particular show, in a couple of instances, I felt that when we went through 9-11, when Sports Beat started back up, we didn't talk any sports. We just talked about life moving forward. And it was one of those instances that you just worried about saying the wrong thing. I remember being just very fearful at that time. You just don't want to say the wrong thing. And that was still pretty early in my broadcast career. So I was I was pretty nervous going into those shows. And then, you know, the other situation where it was similar, where you're just so fearful of saying something incorrectly or saying something inappropriate, but going through the Declan Sullivan situation at Notre Dame. Um, it was just horrific, and it still is today. And that was the most difficult show I've ever done because I remember I was at the Notre Dame Hockey Arena at the old Joyce Center ice rink, and I remember getting out of my car. It was extremely windy and got inside the arena setting up to do the show, and then these reports started to come in about the accident and having to handle that while things were unfolding. Again, you wanted to be careful. It's stressful having that microphone wrapped around your face. So that's why I want to give extra credit to those individuals last night who just, I thought, were professional and handled things so well in an impossible situation. Let's get to our other first pitch tonight, and it centers around the Notre Dame football team and Wake Forest transfer quarterback Sam Hartman. We talked last week about the possibility that Hartman could join the Fighting Irish football team for his final year of eligibility in 2023. ESPN's Pete Thamel has been on this story from the get-go. He's the person that first brought it to our attention that this is a possibility. And then on college game day, on Saturday, Thamel updated the situation with Sam Hartman. And he referenced that Hartman likely will make a final decision known by the end of this week. And Thamel, I think, still feels like Notre Dame is Sam Hartman's top option. Let's remember Sam Hartman is a very experienced quarterback. He's 23 years old. He has dealt with adversity and has handled it extremely well. The blood clot in August which eventually cost him playing the first game of the year, had a rib removed in the past. In high school, he had to deal with the death of his brother a few days before the state championship game. And this young man is as strong as ever. And he is a very confident quarterback in watching him play. And I think it's fair to put him in the category of a difference-making quarterback. Those are hard 
to find, as we know, unfortunately. But Sam Hartman has completed 59% of his throws in his career, but was better this year at 63%. Now, he's a guy that does not mind throwing the ball down the field. That might hurt his completion percentage a little bit. Quarterbacks like Ian Book, who threw the ball within 10 yards, are going to have a better completion percentage. But guys like Sam Hartman can change games with big plays. And that's been a big part of his career at Wake Forest, including the last two years when Hartman threw a total of 77 touchdown passes. This year, again, missed the first game of the year, had a bowl game against Missouri where he threw a couple of more, but 38 touchdown passes this year for Sam Hartman. 12 interceptions, 3,701 passing yards. If you joined me last week on the program, you might have heard my guest from the Wake Forest website that covers Demon Deacon football, Deacons Illustrated. And I asked about Hartman not running the ball as much this year. 844 yards in his career, 17 rushing touchdowns. But this year, 129 yards and only one rushing touchdown. And his hypothetical that Wake Forest might have been protecting Hartman from that blood clot injury that occurred before the season started and wanted to make sure he was healthy so they did not run him as much. But if he is given the green light, he is so good in the RPO system. You go back to some of his career highlights, making plays off the RPO, getting the outside, making those long runs, maybe like an Ian Book was able to do a few years ago for the Fighting Irish. I'm just really intrigued by the possibility of Sam Hartman. Now, Tyler Buckner showed us some good things in the Gator Bowl. Give the kid credit. He went out there playing for the first time since early September, his first game action, had not been hit in practice. So this is a totally different situation for Buckner than most quarterbacks going from the regular season to a bowl game. You have a few weeks off. He had months away from the field and not taking any hits in practice. Your first hit since that surgery was going to be in the game against an SEC team. And I know he had the pick sixes. He had some throws that weren't the best, made some poor decisions, probably was not helped by the play call on one of those interceptions, which we'll get to later. But his ability to run the football was, again, a difference-making part of that ball game. It made the running game better. Do we still need Sam Hartman after seeing Tyler Buckner? We're going to talk about that, of course, over the next few days. But absolutely, you do not turn down a Sam Hartman. My labeling of Sam Hartman, he's a difference maker. And I don't think Notre Dame has had a true difference-making quarterback since Brady Quinn. That's my analysis. Other people on the beat, for as long as I have, maybe have a different answer. Some might say Ian Book, possibly. Maybe Everett Golson. For me, no. There's just not been anyone close to that level. But I think Sam Hartman has that possibility. And you watch Tyler Buckner and you see the raw talent. And it makes you want to say there's a possibility this kid could be really, really special. Eliminate some of those mistakes. And, boy, when he makes a mistake, the other team always seems to go pick six on him, unfortunately. But I think there's something there in Tyler Buckner. But Sam Hartman, the chance to acquire him, that's awfully hard to turn down. So according to Pete Thamel of ESPN, we might know about Sam Hartman's decision by the end of this week. We're already at Wednesday, so could be over the next two days. 
That's our opening first pitches for tonight. Coming up in a couple of moments, we'll have our Twitter question of the day, and then we'll get to a little conversation on the Gator Bowl as the Irish and the Gamecocks put on a show. It was fun to watch. It was kind of bite your fingernails at time, and other times was exhilarating. The Irish got it done to finish 9-4, and four, so we'll talk about some of the key elements from that game on the way in just a couple of moments. Darren Pritchett with you from Mishawaka High School. An hour from now, it's Notre Dame basketball. The Irish taking on Boston College in Chestnut Hill. But until then, more sports beat coming up on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett back at Mishawaka High School. Our program live on 960 AM WSBT, streaming live at WSBTradio.com and on the WSBT radio app. Well, our Twitter question of the day is back after a few days off due to all the holiday activity, but we go back to December 28th, our final program. I asked you this question on my Twitter account at 960Sportsbeat. And the question was simply this. Who do you hope wins the college football national championship? The four choices, the defending national champion, the Georgia Bulldogs, Nobody's favorite, the Michigan Wolverines, the team that beat the Irish in week one, the Ohio State Buckeyes, or the TCU Horn Frogs. I think the voting turned out almost exactly the way I thought. The only exception is I thought Michigan would come in fourth, but there might be enough followers of my Twitter that are Michigan fans to vote for their team. So Ohio State came in last in the voting at 3.9%. What a showing they put up. A lot of credit to Ryan Day. The offensive game plan was so good against that great Georgia defense. C.J. Stroud had an excellent ball game. And you wonder, I know the what-if game is not a part of reality and injuries are a part of football, but if Marvin Harrison Jr., the All-American wide receiver from Ohio State, if he doesn't get injured in that ball game, does this ball game turn out differently? Georgia had not been able to stop him. And it makes you wonder. Things could have been different, but at the end of the day, Georgia, that great come-from-behind victory to win by a point to advance to the national title game and a chance to become the first team in the playoff era to go back-to-back and the first repeat national champions in 10 years. That's when Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide won two in a row in 11 and 12. Yeah, we know about that. But Ohio State, credit to them, put together a great performance. They put that Michigan game behind them and almost took down the champs. Ohio State got fourth in our voting at 3.9%. Michigan got some support at 8.8%. I can't imagine how disappointed Michigan fans are. You're the favorite, the higher-seeded team. Fell behind early, just never could catch up. Wolverines fall to TCU 51-45. to So the Wolverines back-to-back trips to the playoffs and back-to-back national semifinal losses. And now there's a lot of questions whether – Head coach Jim Harbaugh will return as Michigan head coach. There are 
reports. These are reports. But there is a lot of speculation that if Harbaugh is offered an NFL job and gets what he wants, that he'll be coaching in the National Football League next year. There's already some speculation the Denver Broncos are very interested in talking to Harbaugh. As a Bronco fan since I was a kid, I'm open to anything at this point because Denver has screwed up every head coaching decision since they won Super Bowl 57 straight years of missing the playoff and not even being competitive. And they've gotten it wrong with a lot of first-time head coaches, including Nathaniel Hackett this year. So I guess I'm open to anything. Jim Harbaugh not exactly would be at the top of my list, but I don't know how many people want this job. Right now, if Russell Wilson can't be fixed in that coach's opinion, then why would he go to Denver? So I'm not sure I can be overly picky at this point, but just all the weirdness surrounding Jim just makes me a little nervous. All right, second in the voting, you voted on who you hope wins the college football national championship. Second in the voting, the defending champion, Georgia Bulldogs, at 26.5%. Oftentimes, we root against the champ, looking for somebody else to win. Georgia's a very likable team. I don't know if there's really a reason to dislike them from a Notre Dame standpoint. Georgia and Notre Dame had some really good games a couple of years ago in the regular season. I think Georgia has a lot of Alabama in them when they were really, really strong. It's a fun football team to watch, in my particular opinion. So Georgia got 26% of the vote. And winning our Twitter question of the day a few days ago, who wins the college football national championship? I guess TCU is the easy choice because Notre Dame fans don't like Michigan. And Ohio State, eh, probably don't like them a whole lot either. Either Georgia's the defending champ. So TCU's just kind of like, all right, we'll go with them. And, and why not? That, that Duggan kid, I love watching him play quarterback and I didn't know until listening to a story about him on game day that he was actually offered by Notre Dame and a lot of big schools but ended up at TCU he's fun to play watch he's just a hard-nosed player pulling for him in the national championship game so thanks for voting on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. who do you hope wins the college football national championship TCU won the vote, Georgia second, Michigan third, and Ohio State fourth. Now to today's question. What was your takeaway from Notre Dame quarterback Tyler Buckner's performance in the Gator Bowl? He had three interceptions. He had three passing touchdowns. He had two rushing touchdowns. He was the MVP of the game. I gave you three choices. Number one, Buckner exceeded my expectations. Number two, showed me a lot of potential. Or number three, I'm just a little bit disappointed. You can vote right now and through the day tomorrow on my Twitter account at 960SportsP. What was your takeaway from Notre Dame quarterback Tyler Buckner's performance in the Gator Bowl? Exceeded my expectations, showed me a lot of potential, or I'm just a little disappointed. Looking forward to your vote on my Twitter account at 960 Sportsbeat. We'll come back with the results tomorrow and a brand new question. Budweiser's weekday Sportsbeat 
on this Tuesday evening, brought to you by our title sponsor, Budweiser. We're also being brought to you by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now with three locations to serve you. Their newest location on Lincoln Way in the Twin Branch area is now open for carryouts. Barnaby's, the family inn. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, own, shop, or new beginnings have happy endings. And by Edward Jones, making sense of investing, contact Pablo Rodriguez in Granger. I'm Darren Pritchett from Mishawaka High School. Coming up next, let's talk some Gator Bowl. The Irish 45, South Carolina 38. We'll talk some storylines next on WSPT. It is 548 and you're home with the Fighting Irish. <clears throat> Sports Radio 960, WSBT. Darren Pritchett from Mishawaka High School. I'll have the call of Mishawaka and Elkhart tonight on our sister station, 96-1 the ton. Pre-game a little after 7, opening tick probably right around 7.30 on 96-1 the ton. We have Irish basketball here on WSBT Radio. Mike Bray's Irish at Boston College tonight, pre-game. At 6.30, opening tip with Tony Simeone comes your way at 7 o'clock. Well, this is our first sports beat since the Irish rallied to beat South Carolina in the Gator Bowl, 45-38. to Well, it was definitely one of those games that you had to, as a fan, just withstand all of the ups and downs emotionally of this game. Early on, it looked like South Carolina was going to try to run Notre Dame out of the building, taking a 21-7 lead at the end of the first quarter, including the pick six of Tyler Buckner by the South Carolina defense. First quarter, Notre Dame had 11 passes and only eight rushes, eight rushes for 34 yards. But as the game went on, the running game became more important to this Fighting Irish football team. It is their identity, and South Carolina was without two interior defensive linemen, so I sure thought Notre Dame was just going to run right over South Carolina. They weren't really given the chance early on, but as the game went on, the offensive line was able to take control. The pounding hurt South Carolina, and at the end of the day, the rushing numbers ended up where they should have been. It just seemed like it took a lot longer than possibly it should have. I really thought throughout the ball game, we'll get the ball out of Tyler's hand quicker. Like the first play of the game, I liked it. A quick, quick little roll to his right, a pass into the flat. Unfortunately, Tyler was a little fired up and he threw it about 125 mile an hour and the, and the receiver was five to 10 feet away. Unfortunately, it was incomplete. But I thought at times South Carolina did a better job of getting the ball out of Rattler's hand quicker than the Irish did with Buckner. But then the 75-yard pass play to Logan's Diggs. Logan Diggs took place. That kind of changed the complexion of the ball game. Irish closed within 24-17 in the second quarter. At the end of the day, Tyler Buckner, 18 of 33, 274 yards, three touchdowns, three picks, two pick sixes, he also ran the ball a lot more than I anticipated. It looked good running it. It was a difference maker. Glad he was able to run it. 12 carries, 61 yards, and two touchdowns for Tyler Buckner. I think all things considered, 
He hadn't played in a couple of months. He did okay. Now, we don't like the three interceptions, and two of those resulting in 14 points for the opposition. But at the same time, I thought he got more comfortable throwing the ball as the game went on, as the running game got better. I think that kind of boosted the confidence of Tyler Buckner, took kind of the pressure off his shoulders, throwing the ball as much as he did early in the ball game. But all in all, outside of those three picks, which you can't eliminate from our conversation, I thought he was pretty good. He was maybe a little better than I expected. I didn't expect him to run it that much, but that was a pleasant surprise. And again, that was a big part of the Irish offense. It looked like on the first touchdown of the ball game, when they were throwing it a lot, Buckner audibled, and that's when he just scampered up the middle for that touchdown run. So if, in fact, he audible, which it looked like he did at the line of scrimmage, that worked out really well, one of two rushing touchdowns for Tyler Buckner. After the ball game, Fighting Irish head coach Marcus Freeman had this to say about the performance of number 12, Tyler Buckner. And uh, I told him on the sideline, I told him after the game that there's many different examples we use, but Tyler Buckner is an example of a guy that had a bumpy road. And uh, the way he finished off um, this season, uh, his first year having a chance to start, you know, and, and the ability to just really tune out all the noise and, and focus on, you know what, his job. And that's within old practice, that's within a season, that's within a game. Um, that's what I'm proud of. I think watching that game and even with the interceptions in the conversation, he looked like a winning quarterback. He looked like a Division I starting quarterback. Is he going to go into that category of a championship quarterback? I don't think we can say that as of yet, but he showed flashes of being that guy. And to be fair to him, if he ever had the chance to put together five, six games in a row, how much different would he look? Last year was the change-up quarterback. We saw him in bits and pieces. Never really got a chance to get going this year. That Ohio State game plan, not fair to really evaluate. Tyler Buckner gets hurt in the second game. We don't see him for 10 games. So, no, we're not going to put him in the championship category yet. But if he can ever play a handful of games in a row, maybe he would start to show us he is capable of of doing that. But for now, he is, from my standpoint, a winning quarterback, a guy that can win games at Notre Dame. But you've got USC, Ohio State, and Clemson on the schedule next year. Is he enough of a difference maker to win those ball games? And that's why we bring Sam Hartman into the conversation about the possibility of the Wake Forest quarterback coming here to put Notre Dame over the top. Now, Diggs with the 39-yard touchdown run early in the fourth quarter, a couple of huge explosive plays for Diggs, the 75-yard catch for a score and the 39-yard touchdown run. That put the Irish up 38-31. Al Golden's defense got better and better as the game went on. They forced a three and out, so the offense got the ball back at their own 40, a chance to get some separation from South Carolina late in the ball game. And look how this drive started. Running play, Buckner, 17 yards. Running play, Buckner, one yard. Pass play, Buckner for six. Running play, Buckner for three. Running play, Estime for 26. 
So you had first and goal at the seven-yard line. You're running it down your throat. It looked like South Carolina was wearing down, and a pass play was called. And Buckner threw it into traffic. It was returned 100 yards for a touchdown, and all of a sudden, momentum was gone. South Carolina had life. He had the chance for the knockout punch. But it didn't work out, and we had a 38-38 tie. Marcus Freeman, the head coach of the Fighting Irish, was asked after the game, you're running the ball down South Carolina's throat. Why would your team call a pass play first and goal at the seven? And here is Marcus Freeman's very interesting answer. We were looking for a specific look, and, and uh, we thought we had it. Didn't have the exact look we were looking for, and um, guy made a great play. You know, obviously, at that moment, we were running the ball really well, you know, and, and again, ultimately, we probably obviously shouldn't have, we shouldn't have threw it, shouldn't have called it. Um, but the greatest thing about it was to be able to, again, use that situation as another example in the future. And the Billy Fred offense, <coughs> to have that happen, look at them on the sidelines, say in about five minutes or two minutes, you're going to go right back out there. And for them to march down the field and score, that's what it's all about. I remember having this conversation with you during the season that based on the first few press conferences, we had Marcus Freeman here as head coach. He wasn't going to be the type that was going to be very critical of anyone, unlike Brian Kelly, who at times would, I think, use the media to deliver a message to a player. I don't think Marcus Freeman is ever going to be that type of coach. He's going to handle those teachable situations behind closed doors. He's going to give the appropriate answer to the media and to you, the fans. But yet the real coaching will be done inside the goob. But right there, that comment was really the first time Marcus has been kind of critical. I think really standout critical of something that happened in a game on that pass play, first and goal from the seven that was returned for a touchdown, shouldn't have thrown it, shouldn't have called it. Shouldn't have called it. And I think we all agree. They were controlling the line of scrimmage, running the football so effectively. Don't let egos get involved. Keep running the football because South Carolina was on their heels. They were getting tired. They did not have the defensive line depth and it just wasn't the right spot for a passing play. Take them out. Take away their will. Keep running the football down their throat. You had done that the entire series, driving from your own 40 to the 7 of South Carolina, the pass play. Just, I'm, I'm sorry, wasn't the right call. They put up 45 points in the game, so there were a lot of good things called and a lot of great execution throughout the game. But these are the type of decisions in big games that can send you to the ReliaQuest Bowl or the college football playoff. I want this to be a learning experience that we don't have to go through once again. And that's why I think it's worth mentioning. You've heard Marcus Freeman say over and over, we are an offensive line, defensive line football team. We want to run the football even when the opposition knows we are going to run the football. And that was a spot where they could have ran it, they didn't. The execution wasn't there, and the game was, again, up for grabs. Ultimately, the Irish got it done. 
and thankfully Notre Dame ended up running the ball very well throughout the ball game. And here is Marcus Freeman on reminding everybody that, you know what, we need to run the football to be successful. I think early in the game, uh, it was probably a little bit more vocal on running the ball, but in the second half, I want to be aggressive. Don't, don't, let's, let's not be cautious. Let's be smart, but be aggressive. And then, um, you know, again, the, the interception, that was a chance, uh, the ability for us to, to be aggressive, but it also wasn't smarter, you know? So it's, we can't play keep away. Um, I sit there and I challenge these guys every day to be relentless and aggressive and go after them and let loose and, you know, with, with eight minutes on the clock, I can't sit there and say, okay, let's play keep away. And uh, I wanted them to be aggressive. And, and other than the one interception, they did a really good job. I like what Marcus said in the first part of his comments. I was vocal about needing to run the football. I was very vocal in typing on Twitter early in the ball game, run the damn ball because you had the advantage with that offensive line against that South Carolina defensive front. I just thought running the ball early was a great way to, A, start wearing them down, show their depth issues, and number two, take pressure off Tyler Buckner. But on two of the first three plays, we're throwing the football, putting him right into the fire. Is there a way to ease in a quarterback? I guess throwing it early and often is one way of doing it. But running the football early and often, that's kind of a good idea as well. And how about the defense? They allowed points on three of the first four drives, four three and outs in the second half. I thought Al Golden's defense got better and better as the game went on. They got punched in the mouth on that first drive. But let's keep in mind all of the players not available on the defensive side of the football that really changed the look of this defense. Hey, the offense didn't have Michael Mayer, and that is a massive loss. But the other parts were there, and it was good to see them execute, putting up 45 points. But defensively, the scoreboard shows 38, but there's a, a special teams touchdown and two pick sixes that do not go against them. So they gave up 17 after that opening drive. That's pretty doggone good. Again, think about all the parts not there for the defense. I thought Al Golden's defense held up you know, pretty well, all things considered. Here's Marcus Freeman's thoughts on his defense against South Carolina. Reality, I don't know what the score was, but it should have been 17 to 10. Right, our defense had given up 10 points. In the field goal fake's the field goal fake. That's that's not the defense coordinator's job. Um, and as I told them, they played really well. They gave up 10 points the first half on defense. And so all I told them, stop beating Notre Dame. Right, and they were able to go out and um, put it all together that second half. And I think they only gave up seven points in the second half. Spencer Rattler, the quarterback for South Carolina, 29 of 46 for 246, a couple of touchdown strikes, an interception, and he was sacked three times. Three sacks for the Irish without their top man, Isaiah Foskey. So a 9-4 season for the Fighting Irish. Next game in Dublin, August the 26th against Navy. Next home game, Saturday, September 2nd against Tennessee State. Coming up in a second, we'll have a sports beat update and then we'll get to our my five question of the day five things to know about the notre dame bc basketball game tonight that's next on wsbt south bend question five answers this is the my five question of the day on sports radio 960 wsbt 
I'm Darren Pritchett back at Mishawaka High School. Sportspeak continues at 6:10. Irish basketball pregame coverage in 20 minutes. Here is the My Five, the top five things to know about Notre Dame basketball's matchup tonight versus the Boston College Eagles. Ladies and gentlemen, this is number five. We start with just a little rundown on Boston College. The Eagles are 7-7 seven and seven overall. They are 1-2 in the ACC. They have a really good home win already on their ACC resume. They beat the defending conference champion. That is Virginia Tech. And it took overtime, but the Eagles beat the Hokies 70 to 65. Now let's look at the downside. They have some really ugly losses on their resume. Boston College has lost to the Maine Black Bears 69-64. I can't tell you the nickname of this school. Tarleton hammered Boston College 70 to 54. Boston College lost to New Hampshire in overtime, 74-71. And they also, they have lost to Stonehill, 63-56. So they have that one really good win and then a handful of clunkers. Four. Things to know about the Irish-Boston College matchup. Notre Dame lost the last time they went to Chestnut Hill last year, December 3rd, 2021. The final score... Boston College, 73, Notre Dame, 57. That was the lowest of lows for the Irish, who in a week or so would beat Kentucky to kind of restart their season. But in that ballgame, the Irish were outshot by BC, 49% to 38%. The Irish from three, only eight of 28, and were minus 11 in the rebounding category. In that game last year in Chestnut Hill, Trey Wirtz, Cormac Ryan, and Dane Goodwin went a combined six for 25, one for 15 from three, and those three ended up with a total of 15 points. Okay, okay, Uh, number three. Well, TJ Bickerstaff is a big guy for BC, and that's important to talk about because Notre Dame's inability to handle some big guys this year has caused them a lot of issues and probably a couple of losses. Now, Bickerstaff's not a dominant player. I don't want to make him to be out this guy that can go for 20 and 15. But at the same time, Bickerstaff had 14 in that win over Notre Dame and Chestnut Hill. The rest of the season, remember that game was on December 3rd. The rest of the year, he had one other game in double digits. He didn't play the second time. The two teams met in South Bend. This year, he's averaging 6.8 points, 6.9 rebounds per game. The 6'9 forward has hit double digits only three times this year, but in his last game, he had a 12.5 rebound performance against Syracuse. So Bickerstaff, he's not going to be on the all-ACC team. He's probably not overly recognizable, but was good against the Irish last year. And with Notre Dame's post-defense questionable, we got to bring up T.J. Bickerstaff. Number two. Micaiah Ashton Langford. He is a 6'3 senior guard for Boston College. Transferred a couple of years ago from Boston College. Now, he has warmed up his shooting the last two ball games. First, let me tell you, Langford on the year shooting 40% from the field and just 8 of 36 from three for 22%. 
but against Syracuse and Virginia Tech in the last two Eagle games. He is 13 of 27 from the field, 4 of 11 from the three-point line, and in those two games, he has scored a total of 35 points with 11 rebounds, four assists, five steals. You can turn him over, six turnovers in those two games, but Makai Ashton-Langford is an older player, and he has found some recent success. The Irish have to keep an eye on him. Number one. And finally, the Boston College resume is not pretty, and this is not a helpful win for the Fighting Irish in the big picture. BC in the net rankings, only number 219 in the country. So this is a quad three game for the Fighting Irish. BC at home, five and two. You look at what they have done this year in quad one games are 0 and 1, quad two, one and two, quad three, two and two. For BC, the Irish, it's just a quad four game since it is a home game against the 169 ranked team in the country. That's where Mike Bray's team is right now, number 169. If they win tonight, it'll be their first win away from Purcell Pavilion. 0-1 on the road, 0-2 on neutral site games. And you look at their quad numbers right now, not good. 0-1 against quad one, 1-1 against quad two, 3-1 against quad three. They're playing a quad four game tonight. The Irish are 5-0 against those weaker Team. So the Irish have some games coming up to boost them, but boy, they've got a long road to get back on the NCAA tournament map. Last year, there was hope at this time, but right now it is a big, big hill to climb. And let's keep in mind last year, Notre Dame won 15 games in the ACC, and they barely made it into the NCAA tournament. Had to go to a play-in game in Dayton. Now imagine this team not winning 15 ACC games. You see they are in a really, really tough spot. They put themselves, I should say, in this tough spot. That's the My Five for today. We'll take a break, come back. We'll talk a little more Irish football next on WSBT. Darren Pritchett back at Mishawaka High School. Final segment for Sports Beat tonight because we have Irish basketball coming up at 6.30, Notre Dame at Boston College. A little more Notre Dame football news since we were last on the air. Brandon Joseph has declared for the NFL draft. The Irish safety spent one year in South Bend and now looking forward to the NFL draft. He did not play in the Gator Bowl due to the ankle injury. Started 10 games this year, 30 tackles, one pass breakup, an interception. That was a pick six at Syracuse. He also had 18 punt returns for 179 yards. He came to South Bend after a couple of really good years at Northwestern, was an All-American as a freshman, had eight interceptions his freshman year. Statistically, you don't see a whole lot this year from Joseph. He was solid, good solid safety. I think unfairly coming in, taking the place of Kyle Hamilton, that is an impossible task. They're not the same player. So Joseph was a good player, maybe not the impact that some of us thought he would have this year. And he came to South Bend. He told the media he wanted to be a first-round pick, and he felt like going from Northwestern to Notre Dame would help him achieve that. End of the day, that did not happen. He was not healthy late in the year, and now he's considered, at best, a mid-to-late-round NFL pick. According to Pro Football Focus, of the regular contributors on defense, he was the fifth most effective defensive player for the Fighting Irish 
this year. You look at the next year, Xavier Watts, Ramon Henderson, a couple of safeties to keep an eye on. Then we'll have to see if D.J. Brown comes back for a sixth year. He has not made that announcement as of yet. But Brandon Joseph, one year and done, off to the NFL draft. Budweiser's weekday sports beat tonight brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers. Basketball fans, this Bud's for you by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now at two locations to serve you. Their newest location on Lincoln Way in the Twin Branch area is now open for carryouts. Barnaby's, the family inn. My Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. By the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. By Pet Refuge, urging you to adopt, don't shop, or new beginnings have happy endings. And by Edward Jones, making sense of investing, contact Pablo Rodriguez in Granger. Well, that's going to do it for this shortened edition of Budweiser's Weekday Sports Speed. Again, on 96.1 the ton in about a half an hour. I'll have the call of 8-2 Mishawaka Boys Basketball hosting 1-7 Elkhart High School here on WSBT Radio. It is Notre Dame visiting Boston College and men's basketball action. Enjoy the ball game. We'll talk to you tomorrow. It is 6:23 at WSBT South Bend. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today.